It's Curious City, where we take your questions about Chicago and the region and investigate, report, explore from WBEZ. Curious City listener Joyce Bogue grew up in Edison Park in the 1960s on Chicago's far northwest side. She attended Ebinger Elementary School from kindergarten to eighth grade and has fond memories of the school. And she's noticed something about the building. Being around the city, I saw other Chicago school buildings that looked exactly like this one. And I just wondered, was there a plan, you know, who designed it and, you know, what the reasoning behind it was. I'm Jen Mason-Garb, Director of Interpretation and Research at the Chicago Architecture Foundation. And part of Joyce's question is easy to answer. Ebinger was built in 1927 and designed by Edgar Martin, the supervising architect for Chicago Public Schools. And yes, it was part of a plan in the late 1920s. A very large plan that was designed to accommodate the booming population and the influx of 216,000 new elementary students. Between 1925 and 1927, CPS built the largest number of elementary schools it has ever constructed. 32 new schools. 32 in about three years. And most of them are still in use. Schools like Lewis, Peck, Clissold, Prussing, they all look nearly identical to Ebinger. That's not an accident because, of course, it's cheaper and faster to build one plan over and over. In the 1920s, the way schools like Ebinger were designed reflected changing ideas about how children should be educated and the role a school should play within the community. Some of these ideas have stood the test of time, some haven't. And that's meant that schools have had to find ways to adapt old buildings to new ideas. <laughs> and it takes up the whole block. And Recently, I met up with Joyce to take a tour of Ebinger. She hadn't been back since she graduated in 1969. Standing outside the building as noisy trucks unload, I ask her to describe her old school. Well, it's a large semi-dark brick building. To me, it always reminded me of a castle, you know? That's one thing I remember. It's no accident that the school reminds Joyce of a castle. There are large bay windows with Gothic stonework. Pointed arches form the school's entrances. And to complete the castle look, there are two towers with slit windows. It almost looks like a medieval archer could be up there in the tower defending the school. Abinger's principal, Serena peterson Closa, also finds it impressive. Maybe I don't want to sound so dramatic, but when I turn down Farwell and I start heading towards, and I look up and I see my building, I'm always kind of in awe. That awe they're expressing, that's exactly the reaction the architects wanted. They felt the architecture should elevate learning and stir up local civic pride. Ebinger reminds me of a smaller, simpler, neighborhood-sized version of something you'd see at the University of Chicago. This style of school building, often called collegiate Tudor Gothic, was meant to feel important, and it was very popular in the 1920s. These are original doors, I remember. (laughs) Kids scurry by as we enter the building. Well, the auditorium is on the left. This was really the entrance for, you know, visitors and parents. We came in in the back off of the playground, so the girls on one side, boys on the other. Um, but, um, we head down a long central hallway. Classrooms line either side. The auditorium is at one end, the gymnasium is at the other. There was no kitchen, yeah. You ate in your classroom. 
The school's architects wanted to make sure people from the neighborhood could have easy access to the auditorium or gym for local events. Schools were just starting to be seen as community centers. And there was another advantage to this long, narrow floor plan. It allowed for more cross breezes and lots of natural light before the days of air conditioning and fluorescent lighting. I remember these windows as huge, I mean huge. Architects were starting to see a connection between the design of the building, the students' health, and their ability to learn. Do you remember that? Another design element that was new at the time? the kindergarten room. The teacher used to sit in front of there and read to us. Yeah, and we'd all be on the floor. Yes. The room has tall windows, intricate wood trim, and built-in cabinets, and a fireplace. This is a very coveted room. To get this room is a big deal. Um, it's just gorgeous. The school had a boiler, so why did the classroom need a fireplace? In a word, comfort. Publicly funded kindergarten was a relatively new trend, and the architects wanted to create comfortable spaces for young children, a more familiar atmosphere, something like a living room, to ease the transition from home to school for these five-year-olds. As we walk through the school, we see clues to how teaching and learning have evolved and how schools have adapted. Do you have any classrooms that the desks are still bolted to the no, floor? Yeah, they were bolted, I know, upstairs for sure. Um, I can't wait. Exactly. I'm going to show you one classroom upstairs that's probably the polar opposite of what you're describing as far as that's desks great. bolted down. Principal I mean, Peterson Closa takes us to a sixth grade social studies class. Joyce graduated from Ebinger in 1969. Students are working so together in small groups, and all the desks have rotating seats and wheels, which lets them move around the room and face any direction. This flexible seating allows for collaborative learning, which is much more common in schools today. And yet, underneath those spinning chairs, the old wooden floors reveal secrets of a very different educational era. Hey, so here we go, look at this. There they are. <laughs> Do you see these little circles? These were where the rows of desks used to be. These bolt holes in the floor remind us that into much of the 20th century, the teacher did most of the talking, while students listened, took notes, and then recited back information. I asked the students if they would want to all be forced to look in the same direction in class. As we walk through the building, we can hear construction on Ebinger's long-awaited new annex meant to relieve their overcrowding. The design of this new building is something they'll have to live with for a long time. It's the same challenge the original designers of Ebinger faced. Education changes faster than architecture. The 1927 building is, in many ways, outdated. But Principal Peterson Closa says many of the design elements still hold up. I like the classic old school building. I love the classroom size and the big windows and um, the, where the position of where our gym is and the position where the auditorium is really just perfect for the way that we use it. Reporting for the story came from me, Jen Masongarb, as part of a collaboration with the Chicago Architecture Foundation. Special thanks to historians Dale Geyer and Julia Beckrack. Support comes from the Conant Family Foundation. Next time on Curious City. 
Chicago's Municipal Tuberculosis Sanitarium quarantined and treated TB patients for nearly 70 years. It treated a quarter million people. And some of the treatments were questionable, like an obsession with fresh air. The windows were always open 24 hours. That winter, that fall, put another blanket on you, they opened the windows, you laid in bed. Life in Chicago's sanitarium. That's next time on WBEZ's Curious City. Before we start the show, we here at Curious City want to let you in on a little-known fact about WBEZ. 89% of all our funding comes from community support, including contributions from curious listeners like you. If this program has changed how you see Chicago, please consider supporting this program at wbez.org curious. Thank you.